G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Do you know that this is not new with the millennials? That they were asking this question even in Jesus' day. They may have phrased it a little differently. You know, why, why does the Bible give me these precepts? As long as I don't hurt anyone, why can't I do whatever I want? That I need to, to, to give the first fruits of my life to God. That I need to be a truth teller. That I need to be a person of character and integrity. Why, why, why do I have to do these things? Why does God give me precepts? Why can't I just live any way I want to as long as I don't hurt anybody. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines, pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello and welcome to Today with Jeff Fines. My name is Bill. Glad to have your company. In this episode, Pastor Jeff is starting a new series about friends in hard times. He'll share from Scripture that God uses our trials to train us as His ambassadors and ultimately draw people towards knowing God. Here's Pastor Jeff now with today's message. Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. We're going to be looking at three verses. We're going to, we're going to come at this famous passage uh, through a side door, which means we're going to, have to do some hard work together. And if you'll do some hard work with me on this, and remember, I know Sunday nights now. I told you last time I was here that these are where the sharp minds are. I see all you young guys out there, and I know you're thinking and processing things. So when I come on Sunday night, I consider it a privilege to be able to be here, but also consider it uh, a privilege to be able to go in a direction that I don't normally go on a weekend. So I know you, this audience, and I know you're thinkers, and I know you're processing all this, and I know you're trying to find your place in the world. And so when I deliver something on Sunday night, I want to I come at it from a, 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 an angle that would cause you to a little bit of tension in your life. Okay, so in the beginning of the sermon, I want you to have some tension. I want you to say, wait a minute, where are we going with this? What's going on here? And so that the Word of God then can come out of the end, and it can just blast you and you can say, man, this is life-changing. Uh, part of my job in the last two or three years is uh, I've been doing a lot more apologetic work with Dr. Ravi Zacharias and his ministries, and he and I have become very good friends. As a matter of fact, he presented at our Easter service last year. So our Easter service in LA, we rented out the Felix Event Center, and he was the speaker. 15,000 showed up, and he just hit a home run. Of course, he always hits a home run, but uh, he has involved me more and more in facing some of the difficult questions people are asking that serve as barriers, okay? And the questions are changing. So we have a whole new generation of people who are asking questions that they feel in their minds until they answer, they just can't commit to Christ. And the questions are changing. 
15 years ago, they were typical questions. You could always depend on getting these questions when you went to our university campuses in the U.S. You know, how can you believe in a good, loving, merciful God with so much pain, evil, and suffering in the world? Uh, how can you believe in a God of free will and yet so many people reject him? How can you believe in this eternal torment place called hell? Those were the questions you're going to get all, but they're changing now. They're different now. Uh, Byron and I, when we get together, we, we ask questions, a lot of questions. Like, why, why are there people who don't like golf? We don't get it. We just, we don't get that. We, it's, it's one of those questions we want to ask God when we get to heaven. Uh, why does God tolerate New South Wales? We, we wonder about that sometimes. We, we ask that. And then why does, he, why does he allow them to be successful? I'm, we're not sure about that either. Um, it could go on and on. Uh, you know, uh, why, why do people, why is there any other game except rugby league? We don't understand why that's not the game and that's it. Uh, so we ask a lot of questions. Let me tell you the question that I'm getting now in the last, say, five to ten years from university students all over the world. So I was in, uh, I was in the UK last November doing some radio interviews with Premier Radio. Got the same questions. No different in the UK than it is in the US. And I'm not sure if it's hit here yet. Maybe it has. But here is the next question of the new generation, the millennials, if you want to say Okay? And I don't blame them, by the way. I don't blame them at all. Because the millennials have grown up in a generation where they've seen how leaders have lied to them. Politicians. Uh, so why would they not be suspicious of people who demand something from them when all they've been is manipulated by the authority and the masses and who've let them down? So before you throw millennials under the bus, understand the generation in which they've grown up. So they have a right to ask those questions. And here's the number one question I'm getting now. Why can't I live the way I want to as long as I don't hurt anybody? That's the question. Why can't I live any way I want to as long as I don't hurt anybody? Do you know that this is not new with the millennials? That they were asking this question even in Jesus' day. They may have phrased it a little differently. They may have said, why do we need... You know, why, why does the Bible give me these precepts that I can't sleep with my boyfriend until I'm married? You know, as long as I don't hurt anyone, why can't I do whatever I want? That I need to, to, to give the first fruits of my life to God. That I need to be a truth teller. That I need to be a person of character and integrity. Why, why, why do I have to do these things? Why does God give me precepts? Why can't I just live any way I want to as long as I don't hurt anybody? So I want to talk about that for a moment, and if you'll stay with me, in the end, I believe that every major question we ask ultimately leads to God. And if you'll be patient in the, in the front end, I'm telling you, in the back end, you're going to think, okay, I got it. Okay, let me give you some reasons, first of all. Number one, because to live your life, to do whatever you want, as long as you don't hurt anybody, is unworkable. It doesn't work in your own life. It's unworkable, because sometimes the thing you want the things you want are in conflict. <laughs> in other words, you can't eat three cheeseburgers every day and look good. <laughs> now, you want to look good, but you also want to eat three cheeseburgers. You're going to have to choose between the two. So you can't just do whatever you want right there. I am living proof. And Byron was one of the first persons to call me and check on me. I am living proof that you cannot ride your bicycle at a fast rate of speed and not be punished for it. You can't ride your bicycle at a fast rate of speed without a helmet 
and be safe. So you can't, it's one or the other. It's not both end. You can't have a happy marriage and sleep around. Many people have tried that. It doesn't seem to work. So you can't just do whatever you want. You can't succeed in school or at anything unless you put some restrictions on yourself about going out and partying, drinking, things like that. You can't have both. You can't do well in school and spend all your time partying. There are self-restrictions. You can't be a great athlete unless you what? Manage your diet and your exercise. Here's the point. A livable, happy, fulfilling life includes accepting enormous constraints on your life. You can't do whatever you want to do because your wants will often conflict with each other. You can ride your skateboard if you want on the motorway, but you won't live to tell about it. You can't do both. Now, someone will come in and they'll say, well, Pastor Jeff, these restrictions that you're talking about, under my definition of freedom and the new definition of freedom today is in a way we've never defined it before. Freedom today means absolutely no restrictions. That's what freedom means. It's autonomy. So Pastor Jeff, under that definition of freedom, I'm still free because I'm choosing what I will do and what I will not do. Even if I choose I want to be a great athlete, I'm the one that's choosing to restrict my diet. And the answer is no, you're not. It's choosing you. There are reaping and sowing principles in the universe you don't get to vote on. If you want to do this, this is just part of how God establishes creation. You're more submitting to it than you're choosing it. Again, you're free to smoke like a chimney, but when you get COPD, you'll realize that what you did is you, took a, you used your freedom to take away your freedom. Now, just quickly, and we'll move on. I'm 52 years old. 52. I don't feel like I'm 52. I look in the mirror and I'm shocked because <laughs> I still feel like I'm 22. But then I look in the mirror and I, wow, what happened? When I was 32, I had this big plan. I said to myself, because you know, when you're, 50, when you're 32 and you look at somebody that's 50, you think they're ancient. You're thinking, man, are you still alive? What are you still doing here? And so when you're 32, you're thinking, when I'm 52, and here's how I thought, I'm going to retire. I'm going to play golf every day. I'm going to hike. I'm going to bike. I'm going to do all these things. And now I'm 52. I'm tired. I just want to go home, go to bed. Life is terrible like that. When you finally have the financial ability to do all kinds of stuff, you're too tired. And so the decisions you make now, to a great degree, they're going to determine the quality of life you have in the future. So not only physically, but spiritually as well. What you do there is going to matter. If you're going to have anxiety and, and worry and doubt and depression, all those things that come in later life have a lot to do with how you're responding to life right now. And so you're either going to eat three cheeseburgers a day and you're going to end up riding a little cart when you're 52, or you're going to be like this woman who does 100 push-ups a day and she's 100 years old. Now, the question is, which one do you want? One more, one more little example. It's like a... This is a question of design. Look, I, you need to know the manual on you. Don't you? I want to read the manual. You know when you get something new? Let's take a sailboat for a moment. If you take a sailboat, if the sailboat wants to experience the freedom of speed, then you've got to take it out into the deep waters and you've got to face the sail in the right direction. Now, if you take it in shallow waters and you face the sail in the wrong direction, uh, direction what's, what's going to happen? 
The sailboat was not meant to operate that way, so disintegration sets in. Now, you're going to want to know the manual on you so that you know how your body's supposed to be used appropriately so that you can get the most out of this thing God gave you. Now, not too long ago, I read to our church in Los Angeles from 1 Corinthians 6.18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. So when God gives you precepts concerning how to use your body in a sexual manner, he doesn't do it to be the big bad cosmic boss. He's trying to give you the manual and he's saying, this is how you were created. As long as you stay within this, you're going to have a life of freedom. But if you get outside the sandbox and you try to use your body in a way it was never designed to be used, guess what? Death and disintegration. So you're going to want to know the manual. So number one, why can't you be free to do as you see fit as long as you don't hurt anybody? Number one, it's unworkable. There are simply some things you were not designed to do. And if you insist on doing them, you'll end up using your freedom to take away your freedom. Number two, quickly, stay with me now. Unfair. It's unfair. When I read the internet, I read all, I, these, I am responsible only to me. No one has the right to tell me what to do. And we have this thing called selfies. And we only call it selfie because we don't know how to spell narcissism. <laughs> and so people tell me all the time, I'm not responsible to anybody but myself. And my response is, that would be true only if no one around you had ever invested in you. We define again autonomy by living completely independently, free of coercion and limitation. And my question is, when is that ever true in your entire life? Let me show you something. Now, this is an important point. I want to show you some babies. These are newborn babies in our church, okay? Little Joel, and it goes on. Just keep going. These are new babies in the last probably, I don't know, six months of staff in our church. Just keep rolling them on, baby after baby. Cute, that was Mac right there. And then you've got little, little uh, Wells. This belongs to Jen. And then you've got little... Uh, uh, Mia, and you've got Merrick, you've got Graham, you've got all kinds of little babies here. Now, I put this up on the screen to ask you a question. What do, these, what do all these babies have in common? They're not going to remember anything of this time in their lives. Because when you're young, up in, I don't know until what age, somebody else feeds you, walks you, changes you, clothes you. You want to know about the circle of life? Let me tell you the circle of life. When you get older, guess what? Somebody's going to feed you, change you, clothe you. The only you have a very short season of life where you don't depend on other people to take care of you. And even in that season, if you have an accident or get sick, you're completely what? You're relying on other people to come in and take care of you. My daughter, when I had my accident, had to take care of me. My neck was almost broken. I had both arms in a cast, but I'm a very shy guy. So I insisted that no one help me. Think about that. <laughs> For six weeks, it was a living hell. It really was. So number one, it's unworkable. Number two, it's unfair. In the real world, Atal Gwandi says, our lives are inherently dependent on others and subject to forces and circumstances beyond our control. So somebody comes along and says, but Jeff, how, do you, how is that unfair? How is it unfair that I, I do whatever I want to do? And the answer is, you don't belong to yourself. Only. Only. I really encourage you that if you ever want to see a good movie, uh, do you have Netflix here yet? Okay. On Netflix, sorry. You never know. 
Hey, look, don't laugh at me because I can't get internet anywhere. It's driving me batty, except Highway. Highway has great internet. There's a movie called Calvary, and the movie's about a priest, an honorable priest. Uh, and his daughter is confessing to her father and, and basically justifying why she's about to commit suicide. And she says to her father, I can do this because I belong to myself and not to anybody else. And the priest's response is, that's true, but it's also false. Now, stay with me just a moment here. Uh, my high school basketball coach from 30 years ago still calls me about every month. And the first words out of his mouth, he'll say, Pastor Jeff, how's my investment? What's he mean? Well, I had a coach that was a great man of character, and he'll say, are you leading your family well, Jeff? Are you worshiping God well? Are you helping the less fortunate? Are you thanking the man upstairs? So he's asking me 30 years later, I invested in you for four years. How's my investment going? The Bible says that we belong to each other, that no man or woman is an island because all of our lives impact somebody else, and we impact or they impact our lives. So the priest responds to his daughter when his daughter says, I belong to myself and I have the right to take my own life. Listen to his response. To commit suicide is to strike a blow and inflict a pain on many that will never be healed. The question is, what right do you have to darken their lives permanently? Now, time out. Why can't I just do whatever I want as long as I don't harm anybody? Timothy Keller, in his incredible work, Making Sense of God, New York Times bestseller says that freedom is sometimes said to be the only unconditional good our society agrees on, and it is argued the only one we really need. Why try to impose a set of moral rights and wrongs on everyone? We don't want to be like the moralistic societies of the past. Instead, we should agree on just one thing, that everyone should be free to live as they desire as long as they don't harm anybody else. Now, does anyone see the problem with that? Here's the the first problem. Who defines what is harmful and what is not? See, you're you're not doing away with morality. You're just shifting from the traditional Christian moral values to your own set of moral values. And you've determined that you're now God, and you say that right and wrong should be based upon harm. I'm telling you, this is not workable because we can't agree on what's harmful. And by the way, is harmful just physical harm or is it emotional and psychological harm? So under this set of law, then it should be a moral wrong to cheat on your wife because when you do, it hurts her. But we glorify adultery in the modern world. We'll never be able to, you, you can't agree on what hurts anybody because for one thing, How can we know what hurts people unless you define what a good and thriving life is? And how can you know what a good and thriving life is unless you've read the manual of origin, meaning, morality, destiny? If you don't know the creator and the purpose for which you were born, how can you determine what's harmful and what's not? You know, there's something else to this just quickly, and then I'll move on. I met a young girl a few weeks ago. We had an event in our fireside room, a missions event. And I was just mixing and mingling with people. And there was a young girl, probably 22, 23. And I could tell by the look in her eyes, she didn't want to be there. Have you ever seen anybody at church? You know they don't want to be there. So I walked over to her because that's a a green light for me. And I walked over and I said, hi, I'm Jeb. She goes, hi. 
I said, uh, you don't want to be here, do you? No, I don't. I said, I didn't think I recognized you. Have you ever been here before? She goes, no, I'd never come here on my own. I said, okay, why? She goes, well, I'm agnostic. I said, okay, so you're open to evidence to believe in God. She goes, what? I said, well, you, don't, you know what an agnostic is, right? An agnostic is open to evidence. An atheist says there is no God, but you've just said you're an agnostic. So you've said that if I can give you evidence of God, you'll believe. Of course, what'd she say? No, no, that's not what I meant. I said, well, what did you mean? She goes, well, I just believe that everybody should do you know, what they see is right in their own eyes. I said, really? Okay. Do you think rape is wrong? Absolutely. Okay, how are you going to convince me that it's wrong? I don't know. Don't you believe it's wrong, she said to me? I said, well, let's say I don't. Let's say I believe it's okay. How are you going to convince me? You said it's up to the individual. So if it's up to the individual, then why can't I have my own belief, even if it differs from yours? What I'm finding is we're not thinking this thing through. It's not workable because the system of morality only works if we all agree on what's moral. And it's hypocritical to claim that Christians are exclusive when everyone's moral law is exclusive. Now, stay with me here. What is the, I don't know if you know much about university settings in America, but the number one university in America that protests absolutely everything, man, is Berkeley. They protest protesting. They protest everything. Now, here's what's ironic about that. In their ethical classes, their university professors who teach philosophy and ethics teach that morality is left up to every individual. Do you see the contradiction? Okay, so right and wrong is left up to every individual, but I'm going to protest when your right and wrong doesn't agree with mine. It doesn't work. People don't think it through. It's unworkable. It's unworkable. It's unfair because it denies what we owe others, that people have invested in us, so we can't just do whatever we want. And it's unimaginable because we can't agree on the definition of hurt. Now, one more, one more. It's uncouth, and this is where the story comes out. What we are free to do in this world is to love, right? Isn't that great? You can choose to love. But the more you love someone and the deeper you move into a love relationship and the more wonderful it gets, is it not true that the more in love you become, the more you give up your independence? And yet, the one thing we all want is love. If I finish preaching in Los Angeles and I get in my car and I head toward Vegas and my wife notices it's eight o'clock in the evening and my husband's not home and she calls me and she says, honey, where are you? Imagine me saying, you're not the boss of me. I can go wherever I want and do whatever I do. You can't tell me what to do. Now, those of you who know my wife know there would be a silence on the other end of the phone for a moment, followed by something like, do you know how close you are to the end of your life? It doesn't work like that. The more you fall in love, the more restrictions that naturally happen. And marriages work not if one or both parties say, me first, my needs first, I'm all that matters, then the relationship will struggle and die. But if both relationships, both parties rather, in the relationship habitually say, you first, I will adjust for you, I will give up my desires in order that I might meet your needs, then there's no exploitation 
and a relationship of great richness occurs. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God or spiritual thing to worship is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. And then he says, if you worship money and things, if they they are where you tap real meaning in life, then you'll never have enough, never feel you have enough. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me wanna dance and sing With every single breath I breathe I will break this offering You are my wonder You bring the wonder Today 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 with Jeff Vines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.